is from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please stand for our gospel reading? Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looked forward, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, 
Now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of my peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amused at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. At that moment she came up and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of the Lord was upon him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. Please be seated. Just a quick word to the photographer. Uh, Could he make sure he gets my best side, please? (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, Preparing uh, for this talk this morning... I've been freshly challenged by 1 Corinthians 13, a very well-known passage, one which many have claimed is possibly the greatest passage ever written on love. And as such, it's often a favourite reading in weddings. I was surprised, therefore, when I looked back on my database of more than 40 years of preaching to find that I'd only ever spoken once, sorry, twice, on this passage. And I felt ashamed at that. In fact, the only two times I have spoken on it have both been weddings. However, as I'm always encouraging you, we have to set scripture in context. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is actually chapters 11 through 14. Paul is addressing, like I am this morning, the gathered church, the people of Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, when they came together to worship the Lord. And he was addressing them because, as sadly happens, 
not everything was as it should be. Incidentally, as a little aside, many of you may know that our chapter divisions in the Bible only came about in the early 13th century. And as such, some of them are not quite as helpful as they might be. In reality, this wonderful chapter 13 is actually begins at the very end of 12 and ends at the very beginning of 14. At the end of 12, Paul writes, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And at the end of 13, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Anyway, Corinthians 12 to 11 to 14 are looking at things which were not quite right in their gathered church. In 12, we read about their irreverence in the Lord's Supper, their behaviour during a communion service, as we would call it today. And then in chapter 12 and 14, he's addressing their exercise of spiritual gifts. Both errors had a common root, a lack of love. Hence, chapter 13. As I pondered this amazing chapter, I felt I wanted to have a really pithy expression for this love that Paul writes so eloquently about. And what I believe I was given was the expression tough love. Tough love. Not tough in the sense of a rather cheap piece of steak or a bit of stale bread. No, I mean tough in the sense that it's defined in our English dictionaries. Strong enough to withstand adverse conditions or rough handling. Able to endure hardship or pain. Some of you may recall an 80s popular song by Billy Ocean, the title of which is When the Tough, When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Get Going. It's actually, I discovered, thanks to Google, that it was based on a saying of John F. Kennedy's father many years before. This is what I mean by tough love. Indeed, as I was pondering it, I was thinking that actually it could be a translation of the Greek word agape, which is the, the word for love that Paul uses throughout the chapter. That sacrificial love. That tough love. Certainly, 
the life and death of Jesus Christ is perhaps the greatest, not perhaps, it is the greatest example of tough love there has ever been. And certainly it was something that Mary was going to need as prophesied by Simeon as we heard in our Gospel. It's the kind of love that blessing and chucks will need in their care and bringing up of Alana. It's all, ah, and it's sweet, and it lovely this morning. But what about the broken nights, the teething, the sickness, those first days at school, the teenage years? <laughs> and of parents of one coming up 50, it still doesn't change. Seriously, Parents need tough love. But remember, I said that this passage comes in the middle of Paul bringing correction. I'm not going to talk about the Holy Communion, but about what is spoken of in this very chapter, notably exercising spiritual gifts. The problem, it seems, with the gathered church in Corinth was that there was a lot of showing off as they prophesied and spoke in tongues, etc. Moreover, it seems that it was probably the basis of their relationship with Jesus. And Paul makes it absolutely clear that in themselves, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, we've had some this morning. Jenny and I keep a record of words of knowledge in a little book at home, and it's amazing. I would say that 80 or 90%, without exaggeration, of those words of knowledge shared in our Sunday services are responded to and people are prayed and helped. These spiritual gifts are not in themselves wrong. In fact, Paul encourages us, both at the beginning and at the end, as I explained of the chapter, to eagerly desire them. But not, not as status symbols, not as badges to be worn on our sleeves like a scout or a guide. not as proof that we are more spiritual than the rest of you. They're not to be the basis of our relationship with Jesus Christ or with each other. That does not display tough love. I had the thought, actually, that it's rather like sex and marriage. If a relationship is based on good sex, whatever that might mean, it's doomed to failure. The foundation of a marriage has to be tough love, where sex is simply an expression 
of that relationship. Paul goes on, of course, to point out that spiritual gifts are temporary. Not meaning, I hasten to add, as sadly some people teach today, that they were temporary just for Paul's day, the New Testament era, as it were. But in the sense that when Jesus returns, they will be redundant because we will see him face to face. But for now, they are to be exercised in love, tough love, to build us up, to encourage us, to testify to those outside. But they are to be used in love. Hence, in chapter 14, Paul goes on to say, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, for strengthening, encouraging and comforting. Not for pointing out publicly people's faults and sins. I'd like to look briefly for a few moments at those central definitions of what love is or isn't in verses 8 to 14. Uh, sorry, 4 to 8a, the ones that are quoted by Bimbi in this week's bulletin. It's just my thoughts. It's too big to occupy just one sermon. But I want to run through them very swiftly and leave you to ask the Lord what speaks particularly to you at this time. Love is patient. Jenny will tell you when I'm in my car driving, patience is something I definitely need. But patience, I thought, it's actually one way which affects me personally, is me, I need to be willing to wait for others when I think they're a bit slow. Love is kind. That is expressed in the simplest of acts. It may be just a word or just a simple helping hand, or dare I say it in this PC rack society, giving up your seat to a lady. Love does not boast or be proud. It means we're not full of ourselves when we're with others. Remember, we are to listen. We are given two ears, but only one mouth. It's not wrong to be proud of our own achievements, as Paul tells us in Galatians. But it's when we think, I'm better than you. I bet you couldn't come up and preach like this. That is the wrong use of being proud. It's not rude. Love is not rude. It doesn't butt in or cut others out. Love is not self-seeking. 
We shouldn't be asking the question, if I do this, what benefit will it be for me? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow, that's a tough one. We've heard so much about forgiveness. But I remember years ago reading R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness, and he pointed out that by him, total forgiveness means you get to the point when you don't even remember the thing that the person did who hurt you. Love does not delight in evil. How many of us, perhaps only secretly, know somebody who's done something wrong, something bad, and we're really quite pleased when they get their comeuppance? Love delights in the truth. We all need to look behind the tabloid headlines and the gossip to what is really going on. Love protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. That's tough love, folks. And love never fails. And when it does, rewind. But if you're anything like me, you're sitting there thinking, who, me? Me? Are we meant to be like that? Am I like that? Well, it is meant to be you and me, but not in our own strength. None of us sitting here has the ability to have love as tough as Paul outlines. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And by him, who is, after all, the spirit of the one who is love, by him we can grow in this love. After all, we can only exercise our spiritual gifts by that one Holy Spirit. And John reminds us in his first letter, we love because he first loved us. And elsewhere, Paul talks of love being the fruit of the Spirit. A list in Galatians 5, which echoes much of our chapter But before I close, I want to add two little things about this love and what Paul talks about. There is, as I'm sure we all know, a danger of getting all sentimental and cooey over love, despite me keeping on about tough love. And there are two points of this tough love I want to bring to your notice. One is discipline. Paul says love keeps no record of wrongs. 
But that does not mean that anything goes. It does not mean that we should, in the appropriate way, be afraid to confront and correct. Indeed, in Hebrews 12, we read how God's discipline of us is actually an expression of his love for us as children. The writer says it can be tough at times on us, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Clearly, chucks and blessing would not be exercising tough love if they didn't bring up Alana and disciplined her as and when was necessary. And remember that this chapter is in the middle of discipline. Many years ago, I watched a a documentary on television. I can't remember what it was called or the context, but it was about a girl of 18 or 19 who was sadly found dead in Piccadilly Underground Station as a result of drug overdose. But what got me was this. When the police went to her digs where she was staying, they found she'd kept a diary. And a few years before, in her earlier teens, she'd been fostered for a while with a family who had uh, a little girl and I believe another child, but certainly a little girl. And they went on holiday together down to the seaside. And the father said to the little girl, you can go anywhere on this bit of the beach, but do not go beyond those rocks on either side of the bay. Of course, the little girl did. And when she came back, the father told her off and gave her a smack. She cried, of course, and the father cuddled her and told her how much she loved her. This story was related in this girl's diary who died of an overdose. And this is what she wrote regarding that incident. She said, I wish my father had loved me enough to hit me. Now, of course, she used the word hit, not meaning in the horrible sense. But she recognised that discipline was part of love. The second aspect of tough love is, of course, our witness. It is to be the mark of our witness as a church. Do you remember at the Last Supper discourse in John 13, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples 
if you love one another. I used to wonder why was it a new commandment? And then I realised that the old standard was love your neighbour as yourself, which is clearly a flawed standard. Now we are to love as Jesus loved. This is our ultimate witness. Not being super spiritual, not having an amazing worship band, not having the best dynamic preachers, The ultimate witness is to be how we love one another and love Jesus with tough love. That is to be the supreme mark of Christ at work in and among us. Love must be why we do what we do. Yes, we are to desire and exercise spiritual gifts for building us up, for witnessing to God's grace and mercy, but guard against them becoming our raison d'etre. And now, writes Paul, I will show you the most excellent way Follow the way of love. Amen.